We can sing loud right here and get excited for Jesus Christ. How much more loud are we going to be when He's right there in front of us? No more sin, no more death, no more crying, no more taxes, no more worries. You don't think you're going to be shouting? You don't have a soul if you don't shout about that. Some of y'all get excited about a football game. Amen. I know, hey, I'm not blaming you. I'm not accusing you. I'm not trying to make fun of you from getting excited about a football game. I do the same thing. But, boy, if you get excited about a football game and you can't get excited about Jesus Christ, mm, you need to check yourself. You need to check yourself. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. I appreciate y'all singing loud and glorifying Jesus Christ. I think that's a sign of a, of a healthy church, as a church that sings loud. I would love to take y'all down. I would love to fly y'all up there to Michigan with me, when, uh, like when I went up there to that revival of Brother Chad's up there in Lighthouse Baptist. Some of y'all would probably feel like you went to a Pentecostal church or something. I mean, you, I'm telling you, those young men were shouting and screaming and hollering. One of them jumped up and was running around the church with his Bible in his hand, and y'all would think there's something wrong with him. He's got, it was like the Mississippi Squirrel Revival broke out or something again. It was fun. I like that. Somebody said, some brother might say, well, they're in the flesh. Well, better to be in the flesh than to be in the world, amen. I'd, I'd rather see you in the flesh getting excited for Jesus Christ than to be in the world in the flesh. But Everybody all right this morning? Y'all being kind of quiet. Say amen if you're glad to be saved. Man, amen. All right, we got some sinner, saved sinners in here, praise God. So I think I'm in the right place, getting kind of quiet. Kind of, I know y'all, y'all have a, a y'all kind of dreading Thanksgiving a little bit, or what's going on? I don't know. I better pray because I get, you know what? And Brother Jimmy, he come up and pre, you know he preached for me, and I was listening to him preaching. He goes, "Now I know what Brother Keegan's talking about. You get up here and you stand, you can tell. I can tell what y'all been doing last night." I can tell if y'all coming up here, y'all come in here wanting to serve Jesus Christ, wanting to learn the Bible, or I can feel it. It's a weird, it's a, it, it, if, 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 if there's a spirit, it's the spirit of the place, amen? So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do pray your Holy Spirit will come and fill this room right now. Lord, I know you're in every believer in this room, Lord God, but I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit will move, God, direct us into all truth this morning, Lord, as we glorify you, Lord. And I pray, Father, if there's somebody... Underneath the sound of my voice that doesn't know Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, Lord. As we give the invitation, we'll come on down and get saved. Lord God, I pray you work on their heart. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that everything we do in here, Lord God, in this room, will be pleasing to you, Lord God. And we, we know, Lord, that you're not welcome in a lot of places in America this morning, Lord, but you're welcome in here this morning, Lord. We pray you'd come in, sit back, Lord God, as we glorify you, Lord, as we open up your word and lift you up in every way we can. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. All right, Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20. So we'll start there at verse 1, and we're going to kind of go backwards a little bit and then catch back up to where we were. There's a lot going on in Revelation 20. I know I've been uh, stuck in Revelation 20 preaching this for a while, but uh, I think it's worth it. Verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Now, Context is this, 
the tribulation period's over. The, the, uh, Jesus Christ has came back, and when Jesus Christ comes back, the battle of Armageddon takes place. He comes into Jerusalem, and when he comes into Jerusalem, the, the Bible says right there in verse 1 that God sends an angel down with these chains, and he takes the devil, and he chains him up, and he throws him in this bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, we know that that thousand years is that thousand year reign of Jesus Christ that's prophesied. And I preached on that for weeks and weeks about the millennial reign where man is living to be hundreds and hundreds of years, of old, years old. The lion is laying down with the lamb. The, uh, the bear, the kids are leading around bears and lions with leashes. Kids are playing on rattlesnakes' dens. Everybody's safe. That's that thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. And Satan is bound for that thousand years. Verse 3, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Now, I want to stop there. Can you think of anybody who's beheading people today? I can think of a religion called Islam that does that. But they, these souls were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. So these are tribulation saints that go through this tribulation period. I put 666 up here to represent that seven-year period. They go through that period, and they don't take the mark of the beast, and they, they take Jesus, but because they take Jesus, Satan gets a hold of them, the Antichrist, and cuts their heads off. These are resurrected. And for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast or took that mark, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's that thousand year millennial reign. Now we know Christians are going to reign with Jesus Christ also for a thousand years. Verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I want to preach this morning on the first and second resurrections. There's two resurrections. This is the first resurrection. And what does that say? That says there that you want to be part of that first resurrection. That's the one you want to be part of. And if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you will be part of that first resurrection. Look at verse 5. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first Resurrection. There's two resurrections. The first resurrection is that, that is, that's talked about there in verses 4 through 6. It's, and, and it's going to be, I'm going I'm to map it out as I preach it this morning. The second resurrection takes place a thousand years later, and that thousand years later is the great white throne judgment. And Lord willing, I might be preaching on that next Sunday. But this first resurrection is real important to understand. Turn to, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to go through some scriptures this morning, like usual. Lately, I know, I know I've been turning, I know I've been driving y'all nuts. I've been turning to a lot of scripture as I preach. But I just think it's so important to put all the emphasis on the Word of God that it's just not my philosophy and my idea. Uh, I had a brother that come into the church, good brother in Christ, and he was talking to me about something he didn't agree with about the rapture, and I, I gave him scripture. I gave him verses. He goes, well, I never heard that before. And I opened up the Bible and I showed it to him. He goes, okay, well, I'm going to go home and study that. Yes, I don't want you to believe what I say. Just because I tell you something, don't believe it. Let's turn to the Bible and look it up together, amen. Put the faith, we're Bible believers in here first. 
We're Bible believers before we're anything else. We're born-again Bible believers. In other words, we're born again because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and that faith you put in Jesus Christ, if you like to hear this or not, comes from what knowledge you have out of this Bible. The, the, Jesus you pre the Jesus I preach, the Jesus you believe that's going to save your soul is found in this book right here. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. If you have any kids and they come up here messing around, this, this, this crown of thorns right here, here it's, it's the real deal. And if your kids get a hold of this, it will eat them up. I, I, I tell you what I do all the time. I put this thing up here and then I back up into it all the time. You look at it and go, ooh, you know, ouch. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch, y'all remember that song? All right. First, yeah, some of y'all do. Amen. Some of y'all do. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. Paul says here, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all, of all men most miserable. You wonder why? So many Christians are miserable because they're thinking Jesus Christ is for this life right here. He's not for this life right here. He's for the life to come. You, took your, you put your faith in Jesus Christ because he saved you from the devil's hell and gave you a place up in heaven, amen. I hope that's why you did that. If you put, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, say, well, I'm, I'm going to get saved so I'll never have any health problems. That's a big joker. I'm going to get saved so I'll never have any financial problems. I'm going to get saved so I'll never have any marital problems or, or emotional problems. I'm going to get saved because I'll never have any. No, as a matter of fact, when you get saved, it actually gets worse. If you're like me, you get saved and you start losing about half your friends. And the other half look at you at the, at the other side, corner of their eye. They don't trust you anymore. The truth is, is once you get saved, it usually gets worse for you. Jesus Christ is for the life to come. And Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. You'll be miserable if you just think of Jesus Christ for right now. He's for the life to come. He's for eternal life. Now he goes on from that and says, verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. The first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, how did man, what man brought death? Well, Adam. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. That's the second Adam, the last Adam. That's the son of man named Jesus Christ. He brought the resurrection of the dead. He brings us in resurrects us. Verse 22, for, is, for as in Adam all die. You're born the first Adam, you're going to die. Everybody in this room is going to die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. Amen. So the question I want to ask you before we continue on with this Bible study preaching is, are you in Christ? Have you put your faith in Christ as the Lord God, the Father, took you and, and baptized you into Christ through the Holy Spirit? You've got to have that. You've got to have it. If you, want, if you do, then you'll be made alive. Now, here we go, verse 23. But every man in his own order. God's got to order the things. We don't like it. It's a slow order sometimes, but he has a, he has a process. He has an order to the things. Christ the first fruits. Christ the first fruits. So... What you need to know about the resurrection is the resurrection is like a harvest. It's a harvest of souls. So the first fruits is the first part of that harvest. And he says, Christ the first fruits. So he, he says, verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. When Jesus Christ was uh, resurrected, 
when he's resurrected and, and after, after, his, uh, after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, it said in the Bible, Matthew 27, that there were some that came up, Old Testament saints that came up with him, and that Jesus Christ then ascended, took them captivity captive, and he took them up into heaven. And that's the first part of the harvest. So every harvest has a first fruits. What that is, in the Old Testament, they would go into the harvest and they grab, grab these first fruits of the harvest. They kind of go in and say, what kind of harvest are we going to have? How good, how good a harvest are we going to have this year? And they take those first fruits, and God told them, when you take those first fruits, you bring them into me, and they're a sacrifice to me. That's Exodus chapter 32, 23. Come in, bring them into me. Those are sacrifices, those belong to me. Those are the first fruits. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice to God. He's our first fruits. And that's what that is. Christ, the first fruits. That's back in verse 20. But now, verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. He's the first part of the resurrection. He said to Mary, I am the resurrection. So whenever he came up, he's like the first fruits. He's that sacrifice to God of the main harvest. He's the one that is sacrificed to God. And, and, and God's a, it's a sweet smell to God, and he comes up. He's the first fruits. And then it says, verse 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. At his coming, that would be the rapture. So in every harvest, you have the first fruits, and then you have the main harvest. The main harvest is going to be the rapture. When Jesus Christ comes back, to rapture us out of here. And he doesn't come completely back to the earth. He just comes back to the clouds in the sky. And he raptures us out of here with the shout, with the, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. That, come up hither. Then we're going to get out of here. We're going to rapture out of here. That's the main harvest. That's when all the dead in Jesus Christ are going to come out of the grave and going to go up. Now, if you die in Jesus Christ, your soul's up in heaven. He'll bring your soul back. With him and, bring, and put it back in your body, you go up. And I preached on that and preached on that recently. So I'm not going to get too many details into that. But the rapture is the main harvest. So the first resurrection is the first fruits is Jesus Christ. The main harvest is the rapture. You see it there. Afterward, they that are Christ at his comings. And then cometh the end when, shall have, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. So in every harvest, there's a first fruits, there's a main harvest, and then there's a thing called the gleanings. After the main harvest, they go back, and they go back, and they gather the very end, what's left. They gather that up. They call it the gleanings. And this is what confuses a lot of people about the rapture, is there's more than one rapture in the Bible. And that's where the confusion comes to play. Just like there's one, more than one baptism in the Bible, amen? All right, okay. There's at least seven baptisms in the Bible. There's at least two raptures in the Bible. You see the first rapture there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You see it in 1 Corinthians 15. You see that in John, uh, Revelation chapter 4. But in Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 7, there's another, there's another rapture that takes place of the two witnesses. And it looks like those 144,000 Jews are raptured out too. And that's that, uh, that post-tribulation rapture that takes place. Right before Jesus Christ comes back, and that's called the gleanings. So right after that seven-year period, right after the main harvest, then there's a little gleaning where he raptures out a few more hundred thousand people. At the right here's a mil millions are, are raptured out. Millions are harvested here at the main harvest. The first fruit, fruits we don't know how, we know Christ and a few Old Testament saints, according to Matthew 27. If you're in Sunday school with me, you, you, I, I was talking about those verses. You got the main harvest, and then you got the gleanings. You got the gleanings. 
And then the thousand-year the thousand reign of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ comes back, he rules with a thousand years, and then what happens after that thousand-year reign? That's when Satan is let loose. Turn back to Revelation 20. Turn back to Revelation chapter 20. All right, let's go back to Revelation 20. So there's two resurrections. Just like there's two raptures. Just like there's more than one baptism. There's a baptism of, the, there's a baptism of water. There's a baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's more than one baptism. Baptism of fire. There's a, there's a couple of raptures. There's a couple of resurrections. Let's get back into Revelation chapter 20. Verse 5, now let's read this again. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead, the dead that are in hell right now. See, we're raptured out at that main harvest, but the people that died outside of Jesus Christ, they're still down in hell. And their bodies are in the grave, but they're still down in hell. So is everybody that dies, the billions that died during the tribulation period. Those billions that died during the tribulation period, their souls are down in hell. They're not resurrected during this thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. They're still down in hell burning. And that second resurrection takes place at the end of this chapter. Verse 6, Blessed and holy, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Listen to me this morning. I don't care who you are this morning. You want to be part of this first, you want to be part of this first resurrection. You can't be part of this one. That's already took place. First fruits, Christ. This took place about 2,000 years ago. You cannot be part of that. That's in, the, that's in the past. You can be part of this one right here, the rapture. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Just, it, it, the best way you know how, take Jesus, repent. Take Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You'll get saved and you'll be, you'll be part of the main harvest, the rapture. What you don't want to do, and I, what I don't recommend you do, is not get saved and then the rapture takes place and it could take place tonight, amen. If the rapture takes place tonight and you're in here and you're not saved, then you've got seven years of hell on earth. And if you're lucky enough to make it through that seven years and take Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, then you're going to either get your head cut off, you're going to get burned alive, and then you can be part of the gleanings. That's the only way. That's a bad way right there. Say, what do you mean? See, in this, in this seven-year period, you can't take the mark of the beast or you'll go to hell. Revelation 14. You see that back up there? These are they that, that, the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, in their hands. You see it coming to pass as before our very eyes, our U.S. government is trying to go to a cashless society. They're starting to try to control us through through the internet, through the computers. They're trying to control us, what we can buy and what we can sell. They want us to go cashless so they can control the money that's up on. Your money, when you have, all your money's in a bank right now, amen? And how do you know how much money you have? Because some kind of app or something on the computer tells you in, in numbers how much you have? You ever thought about that? You might have, I don't know how rich some of y'all are in here, I don't want to know, but you might have $100,000 in the bank, but do you have it in the bank? Or is it just because they send you a little statement that says one, zero, zero? You know what's the scariest thing? Is turn on, and I've had it happen to me, turn on my, go to my computer program, go into my computer to check my bank account, and it shows zero on there. I've had that happen to me. Now, I know I don't have much in there, but I don't have zero. 
That's a scary thing. And you call up the bank and they're like, oh, don't worry about it, Keegan. It's just a computer glitch. I don't like computer glitches. You ever been in Walmart whenever their computers go down? You, they can't sell you a single thing. We, they shut everything down. What, the, what the, Satan is trying to do, and he's trying to do it through the world system, he's trying to control everybody in this room. And what he'll do is eventually he'll control you to where he'll make you get that mark in your hand. It says right there, verse, verse 4, in your hand, in your forehead. And you'll have to have that in there, that mark of the beast, so you can buy or sell. In other words, you can't go to the store, you can't buy, you can't get water, you can't do anything. You can't pay for your electricity, you can't pay for your water bill, you can't pay for... See all this, where this goes? I remember years ago, when I first started preaching here, we were doing some stuff, and I, I, I remember the, one of the members says, I don't have a credit card. I said, well, how do you, how do you go, like, if you go out of town, how do you get a, how do you get a, a, a room? They're like, well, that's a problem. I'm having problems now. So, well, how do you, how do you pay? And you know what turned out? Like a year later, guess what they had? They had a credit card or a debit card. What I'm trying to tell you is, it's a system that we in. We can't help it, amen, but it should tell everybody in this room, this Bible has prophesied that to happen. Man, when I was in the, in the 80s, and I remember watching, the, I, lived in, I grew up in the 80s, 70s and 80s as a kid. But in the late 70s and 80s, I, watched, I loved science fiction movies from the 50s and 60s. I loved them. If you go back and watch the science fiction movies from the 50s and 60s, they all said, in 2000, we're going to be flying cars in the air. And it's going, to be a, it's going to be a paradise. It'll be, and they had all, the, remember all, they had these movies, everybody, everybody, it was so wonderful and everything. Well, I'm living in 2023. There's no cars flying in the sky, and everything's not so wonderful. It's bad, just like the Bible said it's going to be. And I hate to, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just trying to wake you up. It's not going to get better. It's just getting worse and worse and worse. The first resurrection is the one you want to be a part of. You don't want to be a part of the second resurrection. So let's skip on to verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So there's a thousand year period of reigning Jesus Christ, reigning right here. And I got it on this map here, in this chart. And then Satan's loosed. And notice he's loosed. And back in verse uh, 3, it, said he's after, it says that after that he must be loosed a little season. So after a thousand year reign of Perfect tranquility. It's Garden of Eden on earth. The, Jesus Christ is ruling this world. No more sin. He's trying to. He's keeping it all stomped down. Satan's not there to deceive you. He's not there to try to fool you. Uh, God is right there ruling in Jerusalem. You go. You can go physically see God with your own eyes. Peace and tranquility like the world's never known. These people that came through the tribulation period that didn't die, they're living to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. Remember that. They're living, the Bible says if they died at 100 years old, it would be like they died like a child. So when you have people living to be four, five, six, seven hundred 700 years old, like it was back in the beginning of Genesis, think about the population. So the population starts growing, multiplying, 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 multiplying. Now you, in a thousand-year period on the earth, you're going to have a billions of people again, billions of people again. Because it says there that he's loosed out of his prison. He's loosed out for a little season. A little season, a little season, a season is, uh, there's four seasons to a year. So a season, we assume a season is probably about three months. So after this thousand year reign, Satan's going to be loose for about, we think it, we're thinking right around about three months. 
Verse 8, and he shall go out to deceive the nations. That's Satan's whole purpose, is to deceive you in here. Which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. That's that billions and billions of people I was talking about. That they're living to be hundreds and hundreds of years old. They're having kids. The kids are having kids. The other kids are having kids. So you got billions of people. And Satan's loose for just three months. And in three months' time, he's able to get the sand. It's like the sands of the, sands of the sea, the people that follow Satan to go against God. Isn't that just a sorry testimony to me and you? <laughs> Do you see how easy you can be deceived by Satan? You don't have to raise your hand, but let me ask you a question. Have you been deceived by Satan in here? Amen. I've been deceived by Satan. Just last week, I've been, I get deceived by Satan every day. If you don't understand how powerful and wise Satan is, you haven't read your Bible. See, the world, the greatest trick is, the two greatest tricks, Satan either wants you to believe he doesn't exist... Or he wants you to believe that when you see him, he's this wicked guy with red horns and got a pitchfork and got the tail and ha, 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 he's evil. Satan comes to you as one of the best-looking, sweetest, kindest, gentlest persons you've ever met. As a matter of fact, when the Antichrist comes down and presents himself as the Antichrist, he's not going to present himself as the Antichrist like he's going to kill everybody, destroy everybody. He's going to present himself as Jesus Christ. He's the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, when the Antichrist shows up, I'm pretty sure he's going to have long hair. He's going to look like just all those pictures that you've seen of Jesus Christ all your life. That's how the Antichrist is going to look. He's going to speak kind words. He's going to talk about love. He's going to talk about grace. He's going to talk about all the things the world talks about, diversity, inclusion, all the things the world loves. That's what he's going to talk about. And he's going to deceive the whole world. And that's what he's going to do here. He's going to come out and he's going to deceive the whole world. But... Verse 9, and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Don't take long. They go up and they say, let's go back up. They're going to go destroy Jerusalem. And when they do, God just brings fire down from heaven and whoosh and destroys them. And look at verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet are and shall be tormented Day and night forever and ever. Amen. The devil gets his. There it is right there. Verse 10 is the end of the devil. Praise God. He is going to get it. He knows he's going to get it. And he's going to be in hell forever and ever. See, Jesus Christ said that the hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never meant for me and you. God never meant hell for me and you. But because we have sin in us, there's no way God can allow sin up in heaven. If God allowed any of us into heaven with the sin in us, heaven wouldn't be heaven anymore. Think about it. If you allowed me right now, if, if God right now in the flesh transported me to heaven, streets of gold, matches in heaven, what do you think that I'm going to do? I'm going to get out my pocket knife. I'm going to start picking the gold off the street. Right? Let's go. Because I'm in the flesh. I got to be sinless. I got to get rid of this old fleshly sin. I got to get a new body in Jesus Christ. Back in Revelation 20, verse 8. Revelation 20, verse 8. And he shall go and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog 
and Magog. That's some interesting names right there. Gog and Magog, those names are only mentioned two other times in the Bible, and we're about to turn and look at them in closing. But Gog and Magog are only mentioned two other times in the Bible. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 38 and Ezekiel chapter 39. So go to Ezekiel chapter 38. And let's look at these. And we'll find out who this Gog and Magog is. You might be surprised. And maybe you won't. I don't know. Ezekiel chapter 38. Let's find out who Gog and Magog are. Ezekiel chapter 38. Ezekiel chapter 38. Gog and Magog. Ezekiel chapter 38. And then we'll be in Ezekiel chapter 39. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 1. Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 1, talking about Gog and Magog. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man. He's talking about Ezekiel being the son of man. Set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them. Okay, so Gog, the land of Magog. So the land of Magog. Magog is mentioned one other time, and it's mentioned in Genesis, and it's mentioned as a land that's associated with Japheth. Japheth was one of the sons of Noah that came off the ark. And if you trace the lineage of Japheth, Japheth is the lineage of all the, what we'd call the Europeans or Caucasians. All those Europeans. So that'd be like Germany, uh, France, Spain. Just basically, you think of Europe, Western Europe, that's Japheth. All Japheth's kids, all of Noah's and Japheth's sons, they all went to, and they created Magog, and they created this land there. And that's a cheap, that, so that's where, that's where that land of Magog is. But he says, Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of, look, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. So Magog is direct, Gog and Magog is directly associated with all that, including, including Russia. And what's interesting about that is, that, see that Meshach, the chief prince of Meshach? That's another way of saying Moscow. Tubal, that's Tubalsk, the other big city in Russia. That's what that's doing is that's directly putting Russia right into your Bible. Modern day Russia right into your Bible. And what do we know going on today? Russia's right in the news every day, amen? Isn't that amazing? Then he says there, verse 4, And I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. Talking about Gog. So what, what he's doing there is, and I will bring thee forth, and I will die, and, and all thine army, horses and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So when you study this out, Gog is another is a supernatural being. It's not necessarily a person like me and you in the flesh. It sounds like a supernatural being. And the reason why I say that, kind of like the false prophet is a supernatural being, the Antichrist, the beast is a supernatural being. Gog appears to be a supernatural being because he directly says in verse 4, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws. Who, if you were with me a couple of Sundays ago, I preached on this, but remember Leviathan? The great Leviathan, that fire-breathing sea dragon that God showed Job. He says, look at Leviathan. He says, he says about him, he said, you can put, put hooks in his jaws, put a hook in his nose, put hooks in him and draw. Can you do that? So he's directly tying him to Leviathan. Of course, the Leviathan being a great type of Satan himself. So there you have Gog being a 
spiritual being. Uh, if you're interested in studying deeper into this, because we're getting close to having to close, if you're interested in studying deeper into this, I'll tell you what to do. Go on the internet, type in Weldon, uh, let's see, yeah, Corpus Christi, Bible Baptist Believers, Corpus Christi, Texas. Brother Weldon down there, he's on the internet, he's got, he's, it's only about two pages long, but he's done a study of this, and he'll show you through the study about how Gog is more than likely a supernatural being. And I, of course, I agree with him, that's how I teach it too, but he does a study on that, giving you verses. But there it is, hooks him up. But note, so for time's sake, let's continue. Look at verse 5. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Who's with Gog and Magog? Persia. You know what modern day Persia is? Iran. Are they in the news lately? Russia, Iran. Skip down to verse 6. Gomer and all his bands. Gomer, that's modern day Germany. Germany, Russia, China, Iran. We know China's all through the book of Revelation. The kings of the east, Russia and China. That's an amazing thing you're seeing there. Verse 11, And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. So verse 11 really implies that that's during the millennial kingdom. When Jerusalem has no walls, no gates, because it's peace. You, the Bible says, remember in the, the millennial kingdom, you can just go out and sleep in the wilderness. Nobody's worried about getting eaten by a bear or, or robbers or thieves. The Bible prophesied that. So skip down to verse, uh, skip down to chapter, chapter 39. Ezekiel chapter 39. And we're getting close to done. Look at verse 6. Chapter 39, verse 6. So these two chapters are where Gog is mentioned. Look at chapter 36. I mean, chapter 39, verse 6. Excuse me. And I will send a fire on Magog among them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they shall know that I am the Lord. A fire on Magog. Remember that fire from heaven comes down in Revelation 20? There's a prophecy of that taking place. There's a prophecy of that taking place. Now skip down to verse 11. And we're closing, guys. We're closing right here. This is interesting. I hope you find this interesting. I hope this isn't too dull or boring. I mean, there's not a lot of way to preach it. There's more of a way to teach it. But I hope you find this interesting. And then as we close, this is really interesting to me. Look at verse 11. Ezekiel chapter 39, verse 11. In closing, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place there of graves in Israel, the valley of the passengers on the east of the sea. And it shall stop the noses of the passengers. It's going to be a really stinky place because all the dead people there. And there shall they bury Gog and all his multitude. And they shall call it the valley of Haman Gog. Haman is, means multitude. So it's multitudes of Gog. It's the valley of multitudes of Gog. Haman Gog. But notice in verse 12. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying of them. That they may cleanse the land. It's going to take seven months to clean up the land after all that takes place. Look at verse 13. Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them, and it shall be to them a renown the day that I shall be glorified, saith the Lord God. It's going to be a day of celebration. Verse 14. Notice what happens in verse 14. And they shall sever out men of continual employment. They're going to hire people. That's all their job is. Passing through the land to bury with the passengers those that remain upon the face of the earth. To cleanse it after the end of seven months shall they search. They're going to hire people that their full-time job is just to clean this mess up after God gets done. After Haman, and uh, uh, after God comes up against God, it's going to take them seven months to clean all this up. And what I think is really interesting about this is verse 15. 
and the passengers that pass through the land. When any seeth a man's bone, then shall he set up a sign by it, till the barriers have buried in the valley of Hamangog. So these people are hired, and what it is, there's so many bones spread out all over this land that people are hired and they go by, and you've seen, and the re reason why I'm saying this is because I want you to think about this every time you see it. You've seen whenever they're doing some kind of uh, construction work and the, uh, the, the gas company comes along and they put the little flags in the ground, like there's a gas line here, and they'll put a little flags in the ground. That's what's going on here. They're taking little markers, little flags, and they say, oh, there's a bone, and they're just marking it. Or there's another bone, and that's all their job is, is just to mark it. Somebody gets destroyed. <laughs> and that's what you see going on there. Verse 16, and also the name of the sea shall be called Hamanah. That's multitude. Thus shall they cleanse the land. It's a horrible day when you go against God. Uh, you're not doing yourself any justice fighting against God. You're not doing yourself any good. And I see men do that all the time. They fight against God. They fight against God. They put their fist up in the air against God. They, they think, I'm going to fight against God. I've had men and women tell me, when I stand before God, i got a thing or two I'm going to tell Him. And I think, really? You really know what that's going to be like? Next Sunday we'll see it, because I'll probably preach it. But God says, whenever you stand before me, you're going to be naked. You're going to stand naked before God, and He's going to know everything you've ever done. And you're going to stand before him? You're going to argue with him? With the, you, you know what happened when people argued with Jesus Christ in the New Testament? He made a fool out of them. And the people that were really smart, you know what they did? They left him alone. They shut their mouth. When they, remember, I tell this story all the time. When they went to arrest Jesus Christ, they came back and they're like, why didn't you get Jesus? And what did, the, what did those police officers say? Never a man spake like this man. <laughs> His words were so powerful they had swords and spears and they're like, well, Joe, let's just go on back. I don't think we're going to grab him today. <laughs> That's powerful. That's the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The best advice, none of this might make sense to you. None of this might, might not, none of this makes sense to you at all. But I'll, the best advice I can tell you is get right with the Lord God. And according to this Bible, the only way you can do it is through Jesus Christ. Not through Muhammad or Buddha or some other religion. It's only through Jesus Christ. Say, why do you say that? Because Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Just go to Jesus Christ the best way you know how. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you buried. I believe you're alive today. I believe you resurrected. Lord Jesus, I'm praying to you. I know you can hear me. Will you please save me? That's the most incredible prayer you can pray. And I did that when I was about 17 years old. And you know what he did? He saved me. <laughs> I got up off my knees. I've never been the same. Are you perfect? Nope. Am I a sinner? Yep. I still make a lot of mistakes. But the one thing I do know, when I take my last breath, I'm going up to heaven. Thanks to Jesus Christ. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you'd go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him